without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. When I see you again. All right, we're sufficiently dumb enough to move into 2015. <laughs> If we can even speak. Anymore. I feel like this is turning into idiocracy. Oh, it gets dumber. We're sufficiently dumb enough to move into the next year. Take it away. Also, ISIS is good, actually. <laughs> ISIS, but good. That used to be a name uh, my friend Andrew Polk would use when he signed up for karaoke. <laughs> the KJ would have to say, ISIS, but good. <laughs> You're nice. singing Chumba Wumba? <laughs> nice. So, uh, we're in the middle of the blender, you know? Um, things are getting weird. Things are moving in a certain direction. They're moving from a vague sense of listlessness and ennui into uh, an era, maybe in the future, at least a little bit from here, of decisiveness, of full-on reactionary or full-on radicalization. We are uh, um, we're in the evolutionary step directly preceding a Pepe Frog or a Gritty, I'd say. Um, things are still uncertain. 2015. I would describe this as maybe uh, the first tear in reality from some of our perspectives. Uh, this is when things become undeniably wrong, when you can no longer assume that these uh, troubling trends are things that will go away. And you can't hide in, you know, the Daily Show, um, in normalcy, and any of these things. I'll start here. February. The blue dress. A bride in Scotland posts a Facebook photo of a dress to settle an argument over what color it is. No one can decide whether it is blue and black or white and gold. <laughs> the mildly viral image is picked up and transmitted uh, by our cultural overminds at BuzzFeed, and all shit breaks loose. There seems to be no clear reason why some of it, uh, some see it as white and gold, incorrectly, I might add, and some see it as blue and black, correctly, like me. <laughs> you find yourself in tense disagreement with your coworker, your cab driver, or in the bride's case, your mother. <laughs> no one is safe. Brother is fighting brother. The line of demarcation is inconveniently unclear. Society takes on real, like, body snatchers or the thing or alien vibes. No one can be trusted. Mm. Is this dress? Tamron, get gold. us to the bottom of this. Yes, it is dividing people into two very distinct camps. White and gold versus blue and black. And the issue the is taking on really a life of its own. It all started with a simple plea for help. Scottish singer Caitlin McNeil posted to her Tumblr site, Guys, please help me. Is this dress white and gold or blue and black? Tumblr and was a mistake. That, the Twitter hashtag, yeah. the dress, was born. What did you, what did you guys see? Becoming the number one trending it topic changes based on the amount of light on your monitor in the room. That's the whole the thing. The amount is of that, mushrooms in my brain. Is that it's like these things where it's like Yanni Laurel and then the blue. The I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a crank about this because I uh, <laughs> took a lot of perception classes in, uh, yeah. in college. But it, uh, it, it sometimes like the frequency or the amount of light, uh, the frequency of uh, uh, audio signal 
uh, or the amount of light available in uh, like an, an image uh, will like flip your perception of it if it's like right on the threshold yeah. of perceptibility uh, on, on a bunch of different like metrics that I don't remember but did know at some point when I was 23. But um, like it's both. It, it The dress was the actual white no it was blue and black it's blue right, and black everything, oh, I, just, everyone else can everything fuck I just off. said was wrong who are you people we, there's two ways to go about this there's like the uh, Baudrillard way of saying like what is perception what is blue what's white what's black and what's gold and that's a very postmodern and I would say basic ass take but similar to how Jake mentioned the thing and aliens I think maybe for our purposes ideologically we should understand that it can be either based on whether we're wearing the right ideological lens. Exactly. I, I see it as a more of a Nietzschean issue. I think Jake was getting at this <laughs> with uh, the the dress being sort of the veil of Maya that separates the <laughs> Apollinean realm of our waking reality where all forms are fixed and in like a logical coherence mm. and the Dionysian yeah. realm, the more dreamlike realm mm-hmm. where anything is possible, anything can be true or false and you can create your own reality like you would uh, you know, a dream where you're kind mm. of aware that you're dreaming. And, Reason versus and pathos. This, this dress became the sort of Cheshire cat of the uh, Alice in Wonderland wormhole that we're going down, <laughs> where people began to realize that reality wasn't exactly uh, fixed, as uh, John Stewart told us, and things became less contingent and more was up for grabs. My man, dress. you fucking nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thing number two. Rachel Dolezal. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Not to be outdone by a blue dress, a young activist named Rachel Dolezal goes viral and causes us to ask ourselves uh, what we see when we look at her. This time, we're able to settle on an answer, which is that she's a white woman who has In been posing, <laughs> been posing <laughs> as a black woman while serving as president of Spokane, Washington's chapter of the NAACP. The reaction to this truth, however, is somewhat mixed when her complex story and inner life are revealed. All across the globe, comedians write hacky jokes about being transracial by crossing... You know, the concepts that she's presenting with uh, new concepts that we are coming to understand about our queer friends. Rachel Dozer. Trigger warning, she by the way. She, 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 she was, she's a white woman, but then she dressed up like a nigga and <laughs> shot her way up to... That will be the only N-word on this episode. <laughs> and I always wanted to meet her just so I could understand. I just wanted to, like, have dinner with her so I could just look in her eyes... Call her a nigger to her face. I, know what I was wrong. That was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the that was that? I don't know what that was. I was explosively laughing. Please cut that out. It was horrific. No, leave it in. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, tone it down on the mix a little. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen Dave Chappelle before? He's hilarious. <laughs> I'm laughing that Sean said, actually, that was not the first time it was going to be. Nor the last. <laughs> All right, onwards. Okay. Uh, Birdman wins Best Picture. It's a film about Batman that's not about Batman, that's shot in real time, that's not shot in real time, that's about Hollywood. Um, Drake releases Hotline Bling. Uh, I know when. We, we might play that at some point. And doesn't Donald Trump dance to it on SNL? He does, yeah. Oh my God, really? Yeah, yeah. And it's 2015. I must have yeah. missed that That one. was later? No, it's 2015. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tear in the fabric. That was the episode they had Donald Trump on. 
SNL and he dances to this song. The libs were well, so mad by He is. They were so mad because he looked so good doing it. <laughs> Trump is nothing if not an emosogynist, and I believe this song sits firmly within the emosogynist canon. It does. Um, it's also, I don't know, a little postmodern or something in the sense. I'm not really sure what I'm trying to get at here, but I just remember um, a lot of speculation around when it came out that, you know, this did go on to give birth to some very potent memes. And most of them had to do with the fact that he was dancing so weird in this video, which is a thing that you watch it and you look at him and you go, wow, this guy is like, he's embarrassing himself. But it can be argued that he did that on purpose, knowing that that is how you get famous in the new world we live in. That's exactly what every time I'm being embarrassing online and people are like, yo, cringe, it's on purpose mm-hmm. because I know that's how I'll get more followers. Drake is actually laughing. <laughs> um, elsewhere on the map, WikiLeaks leaks Obama's uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership deal. Another group of activists releases evidence that uh, the American Psychological Association Ooh. worked with the CIA, Department of Defense, and the Bush administration to okay torture during the Iraq war. This is when we find out that our own military has been shoving food up people's asses. Yeah. It was a weird day. I was going to mention when we talked about Snowden how all of these things happen between Patriot Act was 2001, Iraq war starts in 2003, really heats up in like six or seven. Um, It took like, in some cases, like 10, 12 years for the things that people on the left were talking about, the frightening things about the Patriot Act and what it would have led to. It took like this amount of time for us to realize that we were right. All of these horrific things were happening. The American Psychological Association working, you know, to do torture in Iraq, the mass uh, surveillance of, of American citizens. You know, it's really like all these things are happening, but it's only in this era in the in the teens that we start to really really see it yeah um and i just say like looking back on it this feels like um yeah there's almost like a skewed perspective of uh you looking back at yourself back then and going oh i wish you would have realized how right you were um because back then everything was a little bit more unsure um reestablishment of full dip- diplomatic relations after 54 years between uh, the u.s and cuba cuba's taken off a terrorism list uh, becomes the first nation in the world to eradicate mother-to-child HIV transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Middle East, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu pro- uh, protests Obama's Iran nuclear deal. ISIS invades northern Syria. Turkey launches airstrikes on ISIL and the PKK at the same time. All that shit's going on. Um, Obama accidentally blows up a Doctors Without Borders site, or on purpose, depending on who you talk to. Hillary's private servers, uh, email, Benghazi, all that shit. Um, and uh, this all leads into the, the fucking birth of everything. Oh, yeah. the, um, the, uh, the terror in reality that can not be undone. Uh, the 2016 uh, presidential campaign. Everyone announces they're running for president. Hillary Clinton announces she's going to break the wheel. Uh, elsewhere, a melting snowman named Bernie Sanders announces that he's running for president on the Capitol lawn of a front uh, in front of a crowd of concerned onlookers. <laughs> elsewhere, ghouls and tools like Mike Huckabee, Rick Perry, Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Bobby Jindal, Jeb with an exclamation point, Bush, John Kasich, Chris Christie, Ben Carson. There were so fucking many of them. Lincoln Chafee and Martin Save. O'Malley. Yeah, <laughs> my boy, Chafee. Oh. Yeah. I'm Yolo O'Malley. Have you seen him? (laughs) Lincoln Chafee would have won. Where is he right now? Get him on the show. Probably Rhode Island, I think. I think they killed him. Go on Antifada. (laughs) Your cousin and Lincoln Chafee. We'll have them together. You know, she's single. Maybe they can do a lot of Maybe he's ready to mingle. Hmm. 
We'll have we'll have a bonus called uh, Antifadientas. I don't know. Continue. (laughs) Real chafy hours. Um, In June, Donald Trump announces his candidacy, and no one really takes it seriously. By December, he will be calling for a ban on Muslims during his presidency in response to a mass shooting that you probably don't even remember at this point in San Bernardino, California. Uh, Most of the assholes drop out by December. Um, You don't want us to play the audio of of his uh, announcement speech that you have to listen to? Every like on every newscast about Trump ever when they remind us that he's the president (laughs) and that it was a big deal and weird that he was elected. Yeah, they're still the liberals thought like if we just heard everyone hasn't heard that he called Mexicans rapists. He, we have to hear it over and over again, and then people will know that he's not good. <laughs> and we'll, imp- we'll impeach him out of office. Uh-huh. Yeah. And replace him with Hillary Clinton, because that's how impeachment works. <laughs> Who is now president? Mm. Um, another thing happens. Martin Scarelli, uh, CEO of Turing Pharma, yes, acquires King. Daraprim, an anti-parasitic medicine, and increases the price in private market by um, a factor of 56. So from $13 a pill to $750. He's eventually found guilty of running a Ponzi scheme and also securities fraud. He pays $2 million to buy the uh, the only copy of Wu-Tang's Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. Uh, gives the money to Bernie. Says he'll release the album if Trump wins and destroy it if Hillary wins. So total chaos agent. I think we all probably have Shkreli stories, but I want to tell one really quick. I was in uh, Albania at one point. I was going to the these uh, mountains called the Accursed Mountains. Mm, you were doing your Hoja pilgrimage. And on my way there, I passed through a town called Shkreli, spelled the exact same way. <clears throat> and when I got to, out of the Accursed Mountains, I looked it up on, on the internet and I saw that, indeed, this was the town that Martin Shkreli was from. Um, he, like, spent some time in uh, uh, Montenegro, and then he came to the United States when he was very young. And there was an interview, interviews with people from this small town of maybe, like, 300, 400 people. And one of the people said, uh, uh, well, at first, we were very proud of him because we heard that he was doing great things in the United States to cure HIV. And we thought he was a hero. But then... We found out that he was actually keeping the HIV medication from people, and we are all very ashamed. (laughs) That town really uh, got owned, huh? Yeah. Um, Elsewhere, a couple other things happened before I get into my final paragraph here. Um, What else happens? The... uh, the dab is originated at some point in this year that no one can really point, me. Paint, point down. Uh, it seems to be uh, traced to the Atlanta hip-hop scene. Migos have taken somewhat of a, a credit for it. But I think even with interviews with them, they explained that they were making fun of like a character on Dragon Ball Z, which is a cool. thing from the past. No one really knows, but it just takes off. Within a year, Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. will be dabbing. Famously. Um, when I was a kid, dabbing meant you smoked weed with a knife somehow. Yeah. I don't know how it <laughs> degenerated. I know somewhere. how. I'll show you after the show. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was called Knife Hits, and then like, they, you no, know, it's like a whole other it thing. Is. I don't know. I'm an old man. Uh, la, 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 let's see. Um, the thing I want to talk about is that like, Stupid Pole is sort of like bubbling and percolating around this time. Stuff that will come later on to be uh, exposed as the you know, rotting, uh, sort of like avoided, festering cultural thing that we can argue maybe led to... You mean 4chan? Yeah, well, I mean, like, 
It's well, like in the phase of in. It's like the cold brew is in your guts and it's bubbling in Britain. You're like, mm, gonna need the bathroom soon. And that stupid poll in 2016 is like making those noises. And it's 11 a.m. Yeah, uh, and not to give too much credence to like arguments that have been made that you know the entirety of all this stuff can be blamed on liberals being too living too hard or whatever um you know or uh all normies needing to be killed or whatever but this is a time when there's um you know people online that sort of grew up online in forums like 4chan and things like that are starting to fixate on just cringe takes from liberals. I think this is the year that that woman tweets that like uh, that baby alligator should have eaten that white yes, child. Yes. <laughs> this is a famous. I remember people showing me this on their phones and being mad at because the, because because the white straight cis man couldn't couldn't listen to signs. Mm. Yeah, and as bad as that tweet is, there was something also really dark in the person showing you that tweet on their phone mm. and going, we gotta fucking do something about this because eventually people decided to do something about it. Yeah, when people fixate on that stuff, it's really like, yeah, that's stupid, but why do you care? Mm. It's one, like a, one idiot. One yeah. dummy. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a boogeyman. It's similar to, I mean, Trump is getting you fixated on, uh, you know, rapists that are from Mexico, which uh, statistically has happened, you know, but it's like the like the the whole cringe lib take that you see on Twitter. It's not indicative of the entire group of people. You're looking at like one outlier, but there's something really gross happening and that you're able to stir people up into a frenzy over just the worst example of certain types of people, right? Um, it's I'll, just saying the quiet part out loud that drives people insane where it's like where libs are like, I don't know, like, you know, a lib would never sit there and be like Mexican uh, immigrants or rapists and they can't come in. But they would have like shitty policies about borders. Like, you know what I mean? It's 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 like just the. The, the fact that Trump dares like to go out there and use crass language up on a pulpit in front of people and get a uh, like rallying, make it a rallying cry. That is that is more offensive to them than the like policy, maybe, you know, undergirding like these kinds of. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, but they support border security. Yeah. They want a smart wall and they don't think that that's connected in any way to mm, calling Mexicans rapists and putting kids in cages. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, with this, this Trump speech going around at this time um, and his growing following the people that actually do like him that maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know how many of them stuck around or really still like him, but at the time his growing following is that of a, uh, a shitty Dennis Leary. I'm saying what everyone's thinking comedian. There's some sort of like, freedom that people see in him he, they see him as the solution to the stupid poll problem in that he's not going to play along he's not going to let cancel culture happen to him he's not going to be a cuck pc feminist or whatever um folks we're just going to call it a cup of coffee again <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i would argue that's kind of where that his uh fan base comes from but um before i get to that i'm going to close out with this paragraph here kind of summing up my thoughts on the year 2015. Um, 
John Stewart quits the Daily Show in February. Liberal Daddy John Stewart announces his plan to abandon everyone to grow a beard and play with goats on a farm. <laughs> in August, he films the final episode with final guest Louis C.K. Oh. That aged badly. Yeah. Yikes! Can we get some audio from that? Sure. <laughs> Two liberal icons. That's it. That's it. Good clip. Good clip. Sorry, I didn't do the multimedia side of this as, uh, as hard as I should have. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he's succeeded by a correspondent and South African comedian Trevor Noah in what is an either extremely prescient move or a grave miscalculation. Somehow the show gets worse, but more people watch it. Mm-hmm. Everyone over or under a certain age loses their faith in the great two-dimensional rectangular glowing floating box that tells us bad guy bad and good guy good and Mitch McConnell frog. Mm-hmm. This all seems to happen just in time for him to not have to answer the Hillary Bernie question that is raised. No one is around to tell us whether the dress is blue or gold. Uh, 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 you should read my Jake. college papers. We should have we should have mentioned the ra- uh, rally to restore sanity. It's like probably 2013 or 2012. Oh my god! Right? Yeah, that that was like the. I mean, that showed kind of the bankruptcy of that whole line of thinking, right? Like, oh, we all just need to come together and the fever is going to break and uh, everyone will stop being crazy. Like, you have a really huge platform and you have the power to turn people out to something and you're going to rally around something as non-materialist as sanity. Like, come on. It was uh, peak Obamaism. You know, that was the moment when uh, Obamaism jumped the shark because it's rallying people and doing speeches, great oratory. But for what? For nothing. You know, not affecting anything material, not doing policies, you know, not organizing, just simply being there to say that, like, we are the good, smart, credentialed people and we stand against everything else. And Louis C.K. kind of had like a both sidesy yeah. take too, didn't he? Like, oh, yeah. oh, Democrats, Republicans, it's so polarizing. Maybe we just need to get, switch back and forth and give someone yeah. else a turn. And like, oh, you're an old, rich, white guy. Like, you definitely have a stake. You're not being non-ideological when you say that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And um, you know, say what you will about electoralism, but, uh, you know, you can track a lot of this stuff or you can at least make an argument that um, all of this stuff reached a breaking point and then broke with the election. So that caused, you know, material, uh, at least results from it. Mm-hmm. But it took the entire election for people to and even after that, they didn't realize that anything had changed, you know. Yeah. It, like the whole time it's like, don't worry about like. Even after Trump like won the primary, and it was like there's something going on here. Was, everyone was just in total denial. Well, that's why also like uh, the, you know there's this darkest timeline trope that everyone talks about. Like what I, there's a comedian who took um, acid on uh, the night of the election and has convinced himself that we're all just in his hallucination. <laughs> like you know and. Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my friend Louis C.K. Uh, but that's why I sort of drew this metaphor with the the blue dress and the perception thing is uh, because like this, you could argue that, you know, this might be a point when everyone around you that you knew decided their own reality and just like went off into a different direction. And oh, yeah. You talk to some people and they're like, what do you mean? It's great. The economy is at the best it's ever been, you mm-hmm. know, or. 
or liberals or oh Russia did this and you know you t- we're like talking to them we're like that what the fuck reality are you living in you know uh, and then we're right you know mm-hmm. we're the only people that are right yep. about anything yep rally to restore communism with the antifada coming soon <laughs> so I've uh, just decided that the dress was actually blue and black <laughs> thank you it was black and the right blue. glasses yeah. I mean it was <laughs> hot take yeah but I the, thought it was white at the beginning of this conversation the dress is red and black oh, <laughs> oh there you go the only dress I want to wear. So who has the honor of telling us about oh my God. 2016? The big one. The second tear in reality, perhaps. That would be me. I feel like I picked the hardest years, but that's okay. Uh, so, I yeah. I do it because it's not my show. We have... Uh, what What else can I say? 2016, man. quite It was quite a year. Quite an interesting time for cool us. Uh, Global health site. Good here stuff. on the... Uh, on the black pilled ultra left, um, I think it helped us build our case in some ways for a movement that goes beyond the system that we have right now. Um, obviously, we have the Brexit when the UK votes to leave the European Union, and it kind of felt like the end of the world to people in England. And then the rest of us were like, "Oh, that's weird." And then you know, we just um, continued that's <laughs> continued on our merry way. It was a fluke. Uh, and like, oh, that, that couldn't possibly pretend to anything happening in the rest of the world. You know, like, it's just like they got their turf island over there full of like knife crime. The Brits are at it again. Drunken <laughs> cunts or whatever, you know. And the Chicago Cubs lost the World Series. Oh, they won. Wait, they won? Yeah, that's what, All right, that's what I knew Trump forever. was going to oh, win. Oh, sorry. Wait, cut that out. Wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-say it. I'm going to re-say it. And then the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Oh, that's true. Very smart of It'd you. It'd be an amazing timeline where it would be shocking if the Cubs lost. Like they won every time for the last 120 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pretend that I get that joke. Um, and yeah, then everyone was just like, oh, nothing like that could possibly happen anywhere else in the world. And then Trump fucking won. He won the 2016 election and he became the president of the United States of America and still is. Lol. We got owned. We got owned yeah. pretty bad. Um, yeah, we did. And the bottom and, is still red from that owning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and speaking of, you know, who's going to tell you that the dress is red or blue, um, they took down Gawker at exactly mm. the same time when we could have used such a publication to kind of call bullshit on things and speak truth to power, which is extra disturbing considering that Peter Thiel funded this lawsuit on the grounds of privacy invasion. Yeah, right. And then went on to win all sorts of government contracts for his information technology company, Palantir, which, as you probably know, does a ton of business with ICE and probably more even other secret NSA, parts of the government CIA, that we don't even fucking know about. Complex, yeah. yeah, and someone asked him about that, and he was like, oh, it's totally different. Like, Gawker invaded someone's privacy and published a video that he didn't want released, and, like, people, like, it's not my fault if people are giving their data to Facebook or me or whoever. Like, come on, man. I mean, I think he actually took down Gawker for a number of reasons, but... um he just didn't want to be made fun of like this new center of power in Silicon Valley. It's all these angry nerds who see themselves as the underdog eternally. So even though they're like controlling the fucking world, they're still like, they've still got this complex where like, you know, the pretty girl or the guy or whoever like didn't like them in high school. 
So they're like, well, why why should we be the object of scorn and mockery? Yeah, and unlike um, the rest of the capitalist economy going back to the muckrakers of the 1890s to like early 20th century, nobody had held them to account because technology was supposed to be that which frees us. Technology was this new growth industry. These capitalists were all very socially conscious in a very Obama-type way. So the idea that a website would come around and you know puncture this sort of uh, ideological bubble that they created was insane to them. Who are, who are we? Who is Gawker, right, to critique these people doing wonderful things in Silicon Valley? This sort of California ideology of neoliberalism, but with like a kind of social element to it, you know? I, I think, yeah, I think Teal, uh, he took that personally and he went for it. But don't worry, guys, because here comes... The resistance, hey. That resistance needs a hashtag. Let's put a hashtag on that. Mm -hmm, The hashtag resistance. So, I mean, it's even even better than I thought before I started researching this, okay? We had so much good resistance this year. (laughs) Did you break out the pink pussy hat from your closet? I did, I did. So we got Hamilton sweeps the Tony Awards and confronts Vice President Mike Pence at one of their performances, giving him a lecture on the values of diversity and tolerance. They really showed him what's up. And then um, I donated to Planned Parenthood in Mike Pence's fucking name. Uh, yes. Owned, that's, oh, owned. that's so great. Mm-hmm. Corn cob. Yeah, Mike Pence is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Wrecked. Uh, Queen Bay endorsed uh, Queen Hillary for president and also released her stunning surprise visual album, Lemonade, which, you know, struck a blow against uh, capitalist patriarchy, white supremacy, yada, yada. Jay-Z. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Lady Ghostbusters debuted amid controversy (laughs) as to whether or not a bunch of girls were up to the task of busting. Spoiler (laughs) alert, they did. They were up to it. Oh, yeah. They busted the fuck out of some ghosts. Um, J.K. Rowling expanded the Harry Potter universe mm-hmm. with some online content. Don't you mean she who must not be named? I think oh. it was called Harry Potter and the Chamber of Turfs. <laughs> Turfdom. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, like, I think I had a tweet a while back that I feel like I should just retweet, like, once a week, which is like, I never thought I'd say this, but J.K. Rowling can fuck off. Yep. <laughs> Evergreen pin tweet. Cause like yeah. I liked those books when I was a kid. Like feel like sure. most of us did. I don't know. Um, I know Jake did. Not Harry to like Potter dox tattoo. you or anything. Oh shit. Yeah, folks, his neck tattoo. That's a Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. It's a neck tattoo of Hermione. Gunter. I always thought that was Hank Hill, but now I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we have a, a, an SNL Renaissance, wherein oh, Alec Baldwin. Make Saturday Night Live great again with his scathing satirical portrayal of the orange man himself. A man who's so easy to satire because he is not satire himself. The oh, there's the cheeto in chief. Help you, but we have to take care of America first. Wait, you, you do know we're a U.S. territory, don't you? <laughs> He's pursing his lips, I assume. Yes. I do, but not many people know that. I'm doing hand things with his hands. So accurate. It yeah. sounds just like him. I'm old enough now when I've watched enough elections keenly to know and participated in this process in my own way enough to know that we need to be suspicious of the Democratic Party as well. Any party that achieves some absolute power where they seem uh, uh, kind of immunized against public opinion and so forth, which can happen from time to time for both parties. When that happens, that's not good for the country. We need a stiff opposition to keep the Democrats in line as well. All right. It's the Joe what? Biden line. 
The Democrats yeah. are rude little piggies. Yeah, he is not talking about the insurgent candidacy of Bernie Sanders when he says that, folks. I, I remember you lemon. I remember when Eric Gardner got killed, there was another giant um, Black Lives Matter march through Manhattan, and Alec Baldwin himself, this is a, you know, a year or so before this happened, uh, did like a horribly shitty tweet about how like people should stay out of the road when uh, oh, other folks have a, a place to be. He was trying to get to, like I don't know, Fuck Four Seasons you. or something like that. <laughs> Alex Baldwin, not a comrade. Yeah, I like calling him Alex Baldwin, too. It's like a little creative shade, a little Sam Cedar, if you will. Oh, I fucked that up. Yes, I did that on purpose, like <laughs> Sam Cedar would do. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the great thing is he's got plausible deniability. You know, you never yeah. know. Um, it was also the year we got Harambe, a dead gorilla that became a Dicks meme. Up. Oh, that that was became really funny, a uh, yeah. war shark test for people's out. thoughts on everything from race to animal rights to taking your dick out as a way to memorialize a fallen comrade. All through these years, as we started in 2009 and into 2010, everything has just been building from Pepe all the way to Groiper. Mm. So Harambe is one more step on the road to uh, Groiperism, which is uh, where we are today. But we'll talk about that later. The road to Groiperdom (laughs) is paved with Pepe's. (laughs) By Mike Davis. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we, we talk about this all the time on this show, but like my sort of wide angle analysis of the 2016 election result is we have this rising far right that it's, it, it positions itself as a populist, a working class thing, although obviously we know that it's not. But, you know, right wing populism is a kind of populism and we need to understand it in order to deal with it and understand how to fucking fight it. And, you know, in many ways, Trump at least parroted the right words when he I mean, he calls it globalism. But when he speaks to people's growing frustration with uh, globalization outsourcing, neoliberalism, whatever, whatever. And on the other hand, the only opposition we have is this sort of empty, hollow neoliberal center where it's like, okay, he's bad because he says bad things and he does a racism. But as we were talking about before, they uphold the system that leads very logically to these same places. So, you know, they might be against the wall, but they think it's no brainer to have like a smart wall and uh, information technology trying to secure our border. They talk about it in the language of border security and like ice. They talk about ice like it's this thing that has always existed and is absolutely necessary to police our border when in fact immigration until very recently was the purview of labor not of any kind of criminal law enforcement the department of labor you mean yes not organized labor (laughs) although in a way samuel gompers uh i won't go on a history thing but yeah yeah so like we've talked about this a lot on the show and i think it's really important because i don't think i mean Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn, all these left populist figures worldwide are trying to present a real left populist alternative that is still done within the bounds of the nation state. And I don't know that that can ever fully counter either politically or just on a pure logistical level, the kind of rabid fascism and xenophobia that comes from nationalism um, interplaying with this very destructive globalized world market 
that harms working class people all over the world. And that's why we need a real we we don't have one yet, but we need a real anti-capitalist left that stands up against against neoliberalism, against globalization and against capitalism, whose development led to it in the first place. And it's an inconvenient truth, but it also needs to be against borders because We've seen left populist parties all over Europe starting to talk about border security, talking about economic protectionism and border enforcement as a way to defend the welfare state against immigrants, against climate change refugees who are just going to like flood in and crash the system or whatever. And um, that's a very dangerous game that will lead to fascism and horror. And also the right is always going to play that game better than the left. So I know it sounds crazy to some people, maybe not people listening, but the only way to fight com- the only way to fight fascism is with communism and the sooner people get on board with that the better cuz we don't actually have that much time. Here here. Is uh, capitalism the gorilla or the zookeeper? <laughs> <laughs> capitalism is is the dick. <laughs> is the erect dick. Dicks up for international revolution. Yeah. It's dicks out. Dicks whatever. Which, by so. the way, is... Uh, it's I, This got confused on the internet. I think people just thought it was about dicks. That's a, a, like a really specific to certain part of California term for having a gun out. Mm-hmm. Keep your dick out. Thank you for, <laughs> for showing us about the different regional dialects this, uh, of Harambe. Uh, Antifada <laughs> is sponsored by <laughs> knowyourmeme.com. We really should workshop some like Harambe-related anti-capitalist memes, you know? Just like bring it the fuck back. Yeah, those are definitely very timely and... Uh... It's been time enough. That it, it, you could bring it back our, around. Our Retro next, our next series of merch will be tote bags uh, with a picture of a cat on it. And we'll say, I can has communism. <laughs> That's how far back around we're going, folks. Podcast merch you... is just going to say Coney 2012 on it. <laughs> Pokemon Go to the general strike. <laughs> Wait uh-huh. for it, folks. It's coming in uh, 2020. Yeah, that, that's my secret wish is to be like the commie Hillary Clinton <laughs> just think about Not it. Not see it anymore, baby. <laughs> think, of, think, just think about it in your minds. I'm too tired to do the voice. No, you're good. All right, have yeah. we have mm. we concluded with uh, everyone's favorite year? Time to get even more fun with mm. uh, 2017. Yeah, things really ramp up. Yeah. All right. So um, this may be the most depressing year. <laughs> Uh, the first year of Trump's presidency, I've called this year the libs go un poco loco. Uh, and that's a reference to. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> this is the best song. What color is the sky? I'm your more, I'm your more. Is this racist? What is this? No. It's Coco. It's from fucking Coco. It's not like a white woman like appropriating a Mexican accent. Yes, I don't know what this Coco. is. Oh, Coco. All right. Watch the this movie. is a little kid. I don't know what that is. This is a Mexican is? child. How would I know what that is? You have ruined Coco I don't engage in vulgar culture, okay? It's a Pixar Day of the Dead movie. It's delightful. Oh, wow. Okay. Dude, it's... The more you know. Okay. Uh, 
Thank you. Yeah, you, yeah, I'm Poco Loco. Okay, great. Well, anyway, uh, so... <laughs> more, more. What I was trying to say is Coco came out this year and it's a great movie. I have no uh, kind of political overarching way to like tie, tie that into some narrative about the year. It's just a great movie and I wanted to play the song and Sean ruined it a little bit. Uh, uh, accused me of appropriating their culture. That's by just what I do. Saying Coco is a good things. movie. He is an ultra-left wrecker. Yeah. Else. Wrecked, so you, you, wrecked. You just wrecked Your whole me. bit wrecked. Fuck. Okay, so Americans start to realize in 2017 seemingly for the first time ever and I will say you know American liberals uh, that things might be bad uh, maybe have been bad and maybe won't get better for a long long time comfy upper middle class liberals are first confronted with the breakdown of presidential norms and mm. absolutely lose their fucking minds my norms my norms, my norms. yeah nothing uh, yep. has of course uh, in their minds been connected to the ways capitalism systemic inequality insipid and insidious democratic party and the failures of ne- neoliberalism have created the perfect vacuum for trump's emergence they're all just running around with their heads cut off like chickens cut with their heads cut off squawking about you know trump is so rude hillary <laughs> got three million more votes mm-hmm. I, you know i'm a little a bit more winner. That's not a very nice way to describe the Women's March, but. <laughs> so As Andy um, takes out his pink <laughs> pussy hat. <laughs> the, the biggest thing that Libs seem to be upset about at first is just that, like, they really miss how good Obama was at giving speeches. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. like, the biggest problem with Trump that they can identify as, like, his speeches are not polished. Uh, he's embarrassing us. He's they imp- don't even remember Bush. Remember all the Bushisms? How much of nuclear, like a, 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 nuclear, nuclear? No, Bush is good happens. now. Okay, Bush he's is, a, with is Ellen. A, He's part of the resistance now. Yeah. Uh, so the, I mean, the family that I nanny for, the rich family I, I work for, they're devastated that the State of the Union isn't like fun to watch anymore. Oh God! <laughs> uh, oh, God. And I don't like to make gulag <laughs> jokes on the show. However, hey, listen. So right off the bat, first few weeks into the new year. Donald Trump is inaugurated and has a subsequent meltdown on day zero over uh, the size of the crowd at his inauguration. I think we have a really he's gotten time. over it since then. He doesn't bring it up like every week. <laughs> his inauguration was on my 30th birthday. Oh, That's so depressing. And it, it felt like when you like just realized that you took drugs and you weren't supposed to and you're like oh no this is gonna last a long time. <laughs> Do we, we have, yeah here we go. I made a speech. I looked out. The field was, it looked like a million, a million and a half. <laughs> million and a half. They showed a field where there were practically nobody standing there. And they said, Donald Trump did not draw well. I said, it was almost raining. The rain should have scared him away, but God looked down and he said, we're not going to let it rain on your speech. So day zero of Donald Trump's pregnant, uh, presidency, pregnancy, pregnancy uh, God delivers. We're uh, all pregnant. Uh, Trump right now. God smiles down on him and intervenes in the weather too, and performs a miracle and installs one point. Five million people <laughs> on the Great Lawn or whatever. It's like the fishes and the loaves. The untold yeah. story of uh, of, of that um, is that uh, you know the the J twenty protests are known for like this black block where everybody got arrested and got like insane charges that were fortunately defeated. But uh, the before that black block, there was these blockades um, that were organized by like different groups. Like Black Lives Matter had a blockade. Um, indigenous, uh, an indigenous group had a blockade, uh, you know, all these like, uh, single issue advocacy 
not a single issue, but like, you know, smaller advocacy groups blockaded different entrances to the parade route. So when there was images of like nobody on the parade route, all the liberals are laughing at it, like, oh, no one likes Trump. But that's because literally no one could get in. And mm-hmm. that, I don't know how much that affected the uh, attendance of the inauguration. I think it probably was much lower than Obama's. But uh, but yeah, the, the what was going on outside of the inauguration with the J-20 including like after the all those people got arrested these like like pretty in the the most intense rioting i've seen in the united states right on k street outside the washington post headquarters like people have, building flaming barricades and throwing rocks at riot cops for hours um yeah, and uh, limo on fire yeah so that it felt like maybe there was going to be like a different political moment from there on out but that was kind of the height of the of the street movement against Trump. I mean, there was also these kind of like when he was elect, elected in, in, in Portland, there were these kind of like riots and like a huge march in L.A. and that stuff. But things kind of like progressively moved towards ACLU style, uh, you know, donate to NGOs and we'll take care of it in courts kind of mm-hmm. politics. Oh, and now like the Bernie Sanders movement is being presented as the sensible left wing alternative uh-huh. to Trumpism and the far right and I certainly support it and it's certainly going to be the best outcome we could possibly hope for in the short term but I do worry that some of that radical energy is going to be siphoned off and not come back um, so after uh, Trump is inaugurated seven days later he immediately attempts to Uh, ban Muslims from entering the country basically is an executive order called protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the U S it was eventually blocked by the courts, but it would, it was trying to uh, lower the number of refugees to be admitted to the U S suspend the U S refugee admissions program, suspend entry to Syrian refugees in like totality and uh, suspend uh, Homeland security listed Iran, Iraq, uh, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen as the countries with, uh, which would have this suspended entry. So obviously, um, this becomes popularly referred to as the Muslim ban, and uh, people take to the streets. It's uh, it, it's day seven. It's like the the first. It's the end of the first week of his presidency, and uh, I mean, I went to a couple protests uh, downtown. There was a lot of uh, a lot of resistance to this executive order, and I think that the court that did the that blocked it uh, is the court right down the street from here. It was a court in mm-hmm. downtown Brooklyn, Court um, Street on Court Street. So and we, but okay, so you said it got overturned and it did until it reached the Supreme Court. Yes, and it's, and it's still law. Yeah, mm-hmm. I if I can very quickly, similar to Occupy, which had a kind of a moment that we can use as a counterfactual, where some heroic people in uh, the transit workers union and Occupy um, came together in order to do like a fair strike. Mm -hmm. I think they did uh, back then. And it showed this ability to unite the working class and also these protesters, right? Uh, Aren't, aren't not of the working class. They're just like a very small slice of it. That is not as representative as it needs to be. The organized labor working class, let's call it, with the transit workers union and then the Occupy movement, which is a mix of people. But a lot of them are kind of downwardly mobile millennials, right? At least the core of it was. There was a moment where you could have seen Occupy turn into something that was a mass direct action class movement. 
And of course, this action happened, but not much happened after that. You see something similar with uh, the Muslim ban, because the incredibly heroic and effective actions of many times immigrant working class people in places like New York, taxi drivers, right, who refused to go to the airports, people who showed up, you know, and um, and shut shit down. They were showing a way that you could attack Trump and, and Trumpism. That wasn't merely showing up to an A to B march, mm-hmm. merely showing up to a protest, merely donating money to the ACLU, right? It was, it was, or smashing windows. Do you want, smashing do you windows. want me yeah. to say that it's praxis because it is? Please do. Go ahead, do it. Do say the line. Say the thing. Say it. Yeah, I mean that's praxis. Yeah, yay. <laughs> we asked her to do it once, folks. That's it. That's all. all I just burst into flame. <laughs> So, yeah, anyways, uh, sorry, go on. No, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, we, and, you know, as folks are, are taking to the streets uh, to, uh, you know, in, in mass to protest uh, Donald Trump's inauguration and uh, then subsequent, like, executive orders that he tried to get through, that summer we see people take to the streets for a very uh, different reason, which is to be pu- public Nazis. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we have... That's the way to fight Trump. Yeah, we have the Unite the Right rally, which is a march and rally of white supremacist neo-Nazis in Charlottesville. Um uh, leads to the tragic uh, death of Heather Hare, a leftist organizer who was um, st- uh, struck intentionally by a vehicle driven by one of these Nazis, uh, drives into her and kills her. And uh, this is a this is the kind of the exact moment uh, that everyone was fearing, right? When they thought that, like, or when we, people were talking about if Trump gets elected, we'll have you know Nazis in the street, white supremacy will be emboldened, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we literally get that. Um, we have uh, just sweaty. Uh, polo shirt wearing just guys named Chet clutching torches. People are saying, you know, look what Trump caused uh, with this kind of uh, swell of Nazis in the streets. But it's it's hardly that these these young boys named Chet uh, woke up one morning and said, Donald Trump is president. Let me learn about Nazism. It's rather that white supremacy is very alive and well in this country. And now, like I said before, the quiet part can be said out loud. And uh you know, leads to uh, leads to public Nazism. So, also this year we get a devastating uh, holy trinity of hurricanes. Oh yeah, we have three of the five costliest hurricanes in U.S. history: Harvey, Irma, and Maria, causing uh, thousands of deaths across Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. Puerto Rico has never recovered, but that is our fault. Not, I mean. We kind of uh, underreported the the death toll there in the order of thousands and um, didn't uh, help them recover. No, we sent Trump down there to throw paper towels at them and shit. That was cool. Yeah. And uh, my favorite pop cultural moment of the year, wrapping up, probably the envelope mix up at the Oscars, (laughs) which somehow became political commentary. Uh, And then... Uh, Wait, where, what got mixed up? So, La La Land won the fi- the best film Oscar, and then they said, "Wait, actually, no, it was Moonlight." And this got t- 
It was Turn. funny because uh, white people ran on stage to take their prize, and then they, everyone had to go, wait, 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 you didn't win. It was actually the black movie, and they had to go like, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> wait, actually, that wasn't my favorite pop culture moment of the year. The Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial was my favorite. Mm. That was real, like, of sign of the times shit. Mm-hmm. The oh same God. year as the Charlottesville rally, and you have Kendall Jenner handing a Pepsi to a cop and ending... Ending racism. Racism, police brutality, and white supremacy. And then the real uh, Don Draper moment there. Mm-hmm. Nazis decided to start throwing Pepsi cans at anti fascists. Oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. All right, right, and that is that oh. is the year, baby. Were you going to talk about Me Too as well? Oh, yes, I was. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, it just really is my inability to articulately get through this year is a real reflection on how I think all of our states of minds were that year, which was just um, stagnating, breaking down and uh, corroding in a vat of Pepsi. Uh, so me too. It was uh, um a sexual harassment survivor and activist Tarana Burke first used this term in 2006 on MySpace. In 2017, it was re-adopted, appropriated, went viral when Harvey Weinstein uh, had formal allegations come out uh, for sexual harassment abuse against him. Hurricane Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Hurricane Harvey Weinstein, <clears throat> leading to a wave of other uh, celebrities and and then just you know regular uh women on facebook and men terry Crews, james vanderbeek uh coming out with their uh uh, stories about uh sexual abuse in uh, hollywood and that industry but also just in daily life and the the hashtag me too uh went super like ultra viral uh, indicating that uh, a little bit of the old ultra viral. <laughs> that, that me too. I have also experienced sexual harassment. I remember I I posted that. I posted uh, me too, and uh, the the improv teacher who harassed me liked it oh, on oh Facebook, God. and I was like, maybe it's time to unfriend you. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about this before, but uh, I was kind of frustrated with the way some people on the left were talking about Me Too, because, you know, not everybody doing it was a leftist. It was just women all over the place, and mostly women, but not all. And you could view it in one way, like, oh, this is some, like, neoliberal feminism hashtag bullshit. You just want to do your jobs because you love your jobs because you're a bunch of fucking lean in feminists and not get harassed. But what about all the other shit? What about capitalism? Like, why are we forming this uh, cross class alliance with these bougie Hollywood liberal feminists? And, you know, these these critiques have some weight. But on the other hand, it's like it is a populist movement because it's a bunch of people including a lot of people who were not terribly politically engaged in any way before and not connecting up their struggles to anyone else's saying this is a harmful dynamic that doesn't work for us and they talked about it in commune magazine how like it's almost the opposite of lean in feminism in a way because when you lean in you are 
changing yourself in order to better conform with your job and with the expectations of capitalist society. Whereas, you know, when you're saying me too, you're like, actually, no, this system isn't working for me. This system needs to change. And hopefully it creates an opening for leftists to come in and say, okay, what else sucks about your job? Like what, what other ways are bosses shitty besides the fact that they can sexually harass you? And I hope that we're still using this opening to talk about that. I mean, I am, I'm trying. So, and, and there was, there was some solidarity too. Even like libs started to get into some more working class politics when they started, you know, their own liberal version of a movement, but like the time's up legal fund that Mm -hmm. gave money to women mostly who did not have the money to fight against harassment and abuse at their jobs and certainly it doesn't go far enough certainly the real problem is that not just bosses but men capitalists capitalist patriarchy all that shit has too much power over us and um when people have power over others they're going to abuse it if it was women who had power over men we would probably be the ones doing it i don't think there's anything like essentialist about abuse but um just really, uh, really gets my goat when people try to be to grind your gears. When people are like, yeah, they really want to throw the Trap baby out with the bathwater, and it makes you wonder, like, maybe you don't actually care about patriarchy, you know? Mm. <coughs> All and- the men are silent. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Did you guys just come out in support of patriarchy, you three? No comment. My shit, they're not is deafening. They're not saying we shit. We are like I said, 2017 is is was just one it was a stroke. The year was a collective stroke. 350 million people had one collective stroke and we're still recovering. I don't have views of the left side of my face. It was a general stroke. It isn't the coke. <laughs> it was the year. Yeah. So that's 2017. I hope it rots in hell. Uh only good thing to come out of it was Coco. Hell yeah. Should we go do, watch uh, that movie, Sean? I, I guess I should. You need Can to. I? Yeah, take it. Right. I guess I need to. All right. So I'm going to do a uh, action-packed double feature of the years 2018 and 19. Because, of course, as we get closer to now, it's almost 2020. Time is dilating. Time is dilating. We you know, obviously, this is all very fresh in your minds, but just to kind of pull some things together. Is it, I feel like stuff that happened in 2018 happened like 10 fucking years ago. Things are just happening more than they used to, and I hate it. So 2018, yes. Um, they There are some definitely some dark moments here, but I want to start off with a little bit of levity. So um, a group called ETA, E-T-A, in the Basque region of uh, France and Spain, finally decided to dissolve itself after about 40 years of uh, armed struggle against the Spanish state. And the reason why I think this is important is, is because there's lessons to be learned about struggle and ultimately about praxis. Um, oh. I want to just mention in uh, 1973, the ETA, and you know whether we condone this or not, it's, a, it's an interesting historical moment, managed to uh, bomb uh, the prime minister of fascist Spain, Luis Carrero Blanco, um, in fact, as they buried bombs under the street in Madrid and uh, set them off as his Dodge Dart uh, went over it, his car flew so high up in the air 
about 20 meters in the air, that they called him the first Spanish astronaut. <laughs> Blew this fascist up, made him fly into space. But 2018 represents this moment where these sort of separatist leftist groups are no longer able to function. So many things have happened, right? They're like this kind of 1960s vision of armed insurrection and urban guerrilla action, um, you know, have to give way to something else. So uh, rest in peace, uh, Etta. Uh, maybe the best will be free um, on the ethereal plane in the next world. Um, we had another loss besides uh, Etta. We had the death of a woman named Ursula Le Guin. Mm -hmm. She died at 89 years old. Uh, so everyone at home, um, RIP to a real one. Some Fs in the chat. Why do I think this is important? Not merely because I'm a huge fan of her work, but she represents a kind of forward-looking leftism. She was an anarchist, a forward-looking sort of speculative fiction uh, conception of how we can understand our world, but also look towards a future world, not only in terms of economic systems and capitalism and politics, but also in important things like gender. Right. And her she played around a lot with that in her writing. So her death and her passing represents kind of like a passing of the old guard and also potentially the loss for us of this really important 1960s boomer radical voice that's trying to get us to um, interrogate. Uh, and understand all these different aspects of today's society and work for something better. Okay, so, Boomer. Yeah. Ursula Le Guin, <coughs> RIP, <coughs> one of our favorites. We still have Kim Stanley Robinson, so we'll be all right. So to get into um, you know something a lot more serious, uh, this was a year when 2 billion people, 1.9 billion, but almost 2 billion people sat down across the world uh, to engage in a collective activity is something that was extremely important. And something I think for all Antifada listeners is something that we should take account of and try to, you know, think about. Prince Harry married Meghan McArdle <laughs> and the entire world went nuts. So what is it about us that we as a society, as, a, as humanity, needs to take all of our dreams and aspirations and put them upon a you know, British prince and also a magazine writer who writes <laughs> reviews of, you know, various uh, Christmas gifts and shit. What is it with uh, she was also job. on Deal or No Deal. She, was she used to open the briefcases. Oh, really? Yeah, she was like one of the hot ladies in, in a gown that would open the briefcase. Wait, which one are you talking about? Are you mm. talking about Meghan Markle? <laughs> <laughs> Meghan, oh, Meghan McArdle? You said McArdle. Yeah, I'm you confused. did say Meghan McArdle. She's oh, Meghan. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was just trying to trip you guys up. <laughs> gotcha. That's so insulting to our queen. Do we like Meghan Markle? I don't even know Wait, who Wait, two is. billion people watch that? Two billion people A quarter people of the global it? population. A quarter of the global population <laughs> all sat Meghan down and watched that live. become a princess. <laughs> <laughs> I'd Isn't she Megan married to the McArdle, guy from the Federalist? Sure. I'd, I'd watch the Meghan McArdle wedding over the Meghan Markle wedding. <laughs> now that Meghan McArdle is uh, royalty, maybe she knows the question is, who is who's the Federalist funded by? Mm. <laughs> we'll have her on the show. Yeah. Come on the Antifada, Princess Meghan McArdle. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Uh, a very important thing happened that I think shows um, the kind of mindset of our ruling class. 
By ruling class, you know, we don't just mean the bourgeoisie, although we mostly do. They're the ones that really have the, you know, material economic power in the world to make the important decisions that affect, you know, 8 billion people's lives. The ruling class, of course, is also the politicians, right, who ultimately do the bidding of capital. They administer it. They administer capital. And, of course, also the media as well, the ideological apparatus of the ruling class. Like the majority report. (laughs) Like the majority report. Like Sam Cedar who is an ideological apparatus. Um, something happened parody, in parody. <laughs> this was parody. Something happened in Thailand, which I, I think really shows, you know, the, you know, the deep sort of uh, existential being of our ruling class. Andy, why don't you go ahead and play this clip of this very important world event from 2018? How disrespectful was he? I believe he's called me a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> Well, by definition, you know, rescuing 12 young boys, that by definition, that puts everybody else in the same context. After and everything you've done, how does it make you feel when he goes and puts that out there to, uh, to the world? I, I'm not going to make any further comment about him, but I think people realise what sort of guy he is. Would you consider taking legal action against yes. him? Yes. All right. I am not, you know, we weren't just talking about the Peter Thiels of the world who could destroy a Gawker, Gawker Media, for example. We're also talking this decade in Musk. All right. Elon Musk. This is our last of of the teens. This is our last Elon Musk segment. We have to talk about the, the time that he called a guy in 2018 who was trying to rescue 12 boys and a coach, right, who are trapped in a cave in Thailand. He called him the diver who trying to who's trying to save them a fucking pedo. What does that say about our ruling class, guys? It says you can say whatever you want about people just because you're rich. <laughs> and he did it because he was mad at this guy because he had some typical bullshit scheme. <laughs> like, oh, I can build a sub to go do it. And he, he said tried. he had one already. <laughs> he did, but it sucked. And but it he was, was mad he couldn't get it there in time. I think he did go there. I don't he know. He went there about. after the fact, oh. after the diver had already rescued them or like was in the process. He was like, no, just can you guys just wait till I get my, my sub over there? Yeah. Can you just hold on? <laughs> just fucking wait Those a kids second. Will be fine. They'll be just give me like a day. <laughs> and they're like, mm, no, we need to get him right now. And he was sub- mad. They can eat one of the children. That would be fine. Like, just to make sure that he got to do his really cool submarine rescue. Yeah, the submarine where he was like, listen, I've already been planning. It, it, I was already assuming that there would be an event that would require me to dispatch a submarine that could fit one 12-year-old boy into the cabin and no one else. And uh, I have that ready to go. We're also in like Elon Musk is a good example of, uh, you know, late stage tech guy brain where at the beginning of this way, way, way back at the top of this list, this thing we're all reading, you know, we might have um, we were talking about the social network and how like at the time there was a little bit more of a positive view from the liberal mind of things like social media and these people that invent them uh, where with with uh, tech people. Over the course of this decade, we start to realize, and like everyone starts to realize, like these people are just assholes. They're not geniuses. Thank they you. They keep putting out new phones, and they keep saying it's revolutionary because it doesn't have a headphone jack or whatever. And it's God like, damn it! I which, want the headphone jack. Which back. finally brings me to the to my thesis about 2018. Everybody else started their year. Well, I was going to say that's why his fucking uh, his pedophile sub had this weird <laughs> thing. Where it was like the little the boy gets put in a separate pod that I carry behind me. Why not just a submarine? <laughs> 
<laughs> small submarine. <laughs> and the point is, is that 2018 is a year of mask off. All right. Mm-hmm. Mask off year. Trump's got his mask off. The right wing has its mask off. And billionaires have the mask off. And now we can see that they are fucking morons. Mm. I also fucking morons. I also love how Elon Musk, Musk is like this. This pedo. Meanwhile, he's dating Grimes, who uh, is a kid. She's that's my that's my uh, that's my conspiracy theory is that she is a kid. Um, have you ever seen a photo of Grimes? Grimes is three little girls standing on top of one another in a Lolita goth uniform. Yeah, literally. I did a Grimes impression on Chapo once that um, uh, I'm proud of because it's just me singing about how Elon Musk wants to fuck me on the moon. And I think that uh, that honestly, like the the, also the idea of um, getting mad at someone for doing something that you wanted to do. And so you're like. The way that you insult them is by calling them a pedophile, and you're one of the billionaires in, who's like definitely very much aware of the global cabal of elite pedophiles. Epstein didn't kill himself. Like it's just where it's like you know at any moment someone could just accuse each other of being a pedophile, and and uh, I've actually what? heard uh, contrary evidence to that about elon musk <laughs> about epstein he was not a pedophile he only likes milfs uh, <laughs> i heard from a source i can't even name he asked me not to tell how he knew this that uh elon musk is kind of considered nouveau riche in the like society of rich people and that's why he's so angry on the internet all the time is because like mm. he doesn't get to hang out with them at the epstein shit and the secret ranches and stuff like that. So maybe he thinks that if he calls enough people, pet, like if he talks about pedophilia enough, they'll like invite him. Yeah, to come yeah. do pedophilia. He's like, I him. know about pedophilia too. You want to invite me to your party? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was complimenting that man. Must <laughs> <laughs> misunderstanding. Is this uh, the same source who did coke with Pete Buttigieg? It's all the same channel. <laughs> <laughs> it's the deep state. Same imaginary friend Back of channels. yours. <laughs> it's all just me. All right. So to bang through the last, you know, 2018 and then into 2019, we have again a mask off moment. We have Lula da Silva in Brazil. Being arrested on trumped up charges, leading to at least 20 or 30 uh, Michael Brooks show segments <laughs> and the election of basically an unreconstructed neo-fascist, which is Jair Bolsonaro, who like doesn't even like an Orban in Hungary or like even Donald Trump himself tries to kind of like skirt this line where it's authoritarian, but it's just conservative. Jair Bolsonaro is like, kill the gays. Right. Kill the trade unionists. In fact, they do do that. Kill the politicians and burn down the fucking rainforest. It doesn't get more mass off than than that. Mm-hmm. Right. The Bolsonaro regime in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who have to defend it. The, the, like, yeah. you, the Wall Street Journal who said it's a great investment yeah, opportunity. Like, like the people who, yeah. you know, there's there's it's totally indefensible, but. They'll find a way, yeah, because it's good for capital. And Trump and Pence are great friends with them, and it's good for capital. Netanyahu, of course. There's this whole nexus. All these rights, all these, all these liberal rights that we have here, you know, gay marriage, abortion, uh, intersectionality—the liberal version of it—like those exist are completely contingent upon the whims of capital. And if it's not convenient for capital, they're going to go away in a second. And ultimately, Bolsonaro still has the same project. Uh, despite his rhetoric, and, and along with his rhetoric, which is he wants to destroy 
the welfare state that was created by the PT, by the Workers' Party of uh, Lula. And so, again, national Brazilian capital and international capital doesn't care anymore in 2018, 2019 how rude and crass these politicians are and how much they let the mask slip as long as they're doing that work of opening up the Amazon by burning it down to resource extraction and to farming to make cheaper cows and soybeans and this, that, and the other. It's fine. It's Just fine. like how Republicans will never let the impeachment go through the Senate because Trump lets them get their agendas passed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They're all complicit. And we knew that, right? But it's becoming clearer and clearer. Another moment in foreign policy because – you know, as much as I don't think this is the biggest thing that happened in the world, it is important to think about this sort of um, global um, compact, this global sort of um, outward facing strategy where you make diplomacy seem like, you know, it's really important that uh, we do the right thing, that we're civil and there's like global international norms and shit like that. And I'm talking, of course, about uh, Khashoggi being killed by uh what's his uh bin salman right the mm-hmm. uh the king or at least the leader of saudi arabia inside a saudi embassy in turkey so he has his operators go in there like imagine guys they're saudi but they're like pete Buttigieg types these tier one operators from saudi arabia go into i meant because he's cia no pete, pete Buttigieg is the the person who uh consultant to help like explain <laughs> makes the spreadsheet to say, for like <laughs> oh we're, so- we're sorry that we chopped them up into 30 pieces we said we said five pieces uh but they they went overboard and did 30 <laughs> so yeah the uh the the guys one tier down from Poot Be- Pete Buttigieg Pete Buttigieg's name is Buttchug okay Butchug, Pete Matt Crisman died for our sins uh, the uh they go in there and they just murk this fucking guy and they chop him up into pieces and it gets out because how could it not get out? You just like chopped a human being up, you know, in an embassy as part of your diplomacy and nothing happens. MBS has like an important conference canceled by like the international you know business community that says like we can't work with you they do the same meeting two months later and it's mm-hmm. fine um the united states which is a global avatar of city human rights the, the city in the hill um trump's like yeah this is fine you know jared kushner goes over like a week later and is like working on their uh israel palestine bullshit deal with uh saudi arabia so again a kind of mass off moment where like what is what is there out there that a friendly quote-unquote country could do that the america that america would even condemn anymore and i'm I'm not sure that there is as long as it's a friendly way to uphold capital it's not going to be an issue. Well, yeah, I, didn't I, Trump actually get on the mic and say something like, oh, I'd love to end the war in Yemen, but we need these lucrative arms yes, deals are yes. much yes. more important yeah, for the American yeah. worker. Just like, Listen, uh, level with me here. What would you do in my position? <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, this is worth something, right? So what when my hands are tied, right? I guess um, the only uh, I, I, I like the, the, the idea of it being mask off. Like we, we you do see a lot of people like really revealing who they are in a way that like neoliberals r- refuse to do. But I think there is a tension between, like, the Bolsonaros and Khashoggi's and, like, um, I mean, international capital in general is apolitical. All it cares about is self-valorization. So it doesn't necessarily want these, like, strong men, like, human rights abuser, uh, fascistic kind of regimes 
it, you know, they may be like legitimately tolerant in some ways or supportive of human rights, but what they want more than anything is stability. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the scandals about Bolsonaro and Khashoggi and Trump and all this stuff, the question is never whether it's right or wrong or like how we're going to fix it or how we're going to stop them. It's is capital going to continue to be stable? And that's always the most important thing. It's always yeah. been, but it hasn't been in an optics, you know, sort of way, right? Yeah. That's what's different now. What you're saying is 100% yeah. correct. I but still it, don't think that's totally clear, though, because there's still this, like, um, you know, because we talked about how the resistance went from, like, uh, so energized in the first days of the Trump administration to kind of, like, ceding everything to the courts and to uh, electoralism. Um, but there, there isn't this, this recognition that keeping the system the same is always going to default to the most important thing, which is self-valorization of capital. And capital is at war with itself in many different ways, in many different places. I mean, Brexit was not a real working class movement. I mean, I don't pretend to understand it in all its complexity, but certain segments of capital were in favor of Brexit. Certain segments of capital were against it. They had different interests duking it out. And I think we're going to see no matter what happens, no matter who's president, as time goes on, those contradictions will only continue to heighten and capitalism will only be more and more on fire. And that's what's so frustrating about the whole notion of like capitalism seeking like and folks who seek to implement capitalism uh, needing these endless self-valorization of capital, because if you understood it uh, for what it really is uh, on economic or Marxist terms, it is something that is inherently unstable, inherently seeking to self-cannibalize and uh, something that will only, as Jamie said, you know, heighten its own internal contradictions until it uh, burns the planet down. And it's just so uh, there is no stability. There's only, uh, you know, new markets to uh, to conquer and fuck up. And uh, it's just so and it's running out of places to go. Absolutely running out. I mean, uh, yeah, we end. 2018 and segue into 2019 on uh, an ambiguous note. Maybe it's a high note. It's at least mass struggle. And that is, of course, the yellow vest, the gilet jaune movement in France. A very, very ambiguous, hard to understand movement, but one that uh, maybe potentially synthesizes a lot of these issues we've been grappling with, like the occupation of space versus like mass street action, um, things in the political sphere versus things in the economic sphere. The Yellow Vest uh, movement people, and there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of them all over France, and they're able to shut shit down. They're able to come along in mass, on mass block highways, block railroads, you know, shut down whole towns and also go to the center of fucking Paris, go to the Champs-Élysées and fight off the cops, such as their anger at seemingly very simple things like a little bit more of a gas tax. They just hate the environment. They just hate the environment. And we're and with all them racist, except for not all of them. The Gilet Noir was a very interesting development that I want to keep an eye on as well, bringing a uh, working class immigrant internationalist perspective into these protests we don't know where it's going and honestly me myself i'm not sure what where it even was at this point it's a very complicated and complex movement but again it's um it's leaderless in a sense but it also has some very serious goals for itself um it's an economic struggle but it represents itself by being completely political and standing up against the state standing up about against cops so 
you know, I'm not sure that the gilets jaunes are the solution to our problems, but it's something that I think kind of you can understand how through this whole decade, it led to this sort of moment where a lot of these different issues and a lot of these different tactics and strategies are kind of cohering right now, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. So 2018, done. You're done. You're done. Mask is in the trash. Mask is in the trash. Mask is canceled. So what do we do now that there's no mask? 2019, again, you all know you're still living in it, at least for today, right? We've got Juan Guaido declaring himself president of Venezuela. 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 Um, you have, uh, you know, going back to when I started in 2009 with uh, Evo Morales saying that indigenous rights are human rights and putting that into the Constitution. In Venezuela and Bolivia now, there's this real rollback of what was called the pink tide. You know, which happened in the in the aughts and uh, potentially with Bolsonaro, a new kind of Operation Condor kind of neo fascist front down there. So very frightening stuff. You have Julian Assange being arrested this year, which puts a bookend on the Snowden, you know, Patriot Act stuff we were talking about. And, you know, Obama, Obamaism and mass surveillance or whatever. Assange is now in jail. So. You know, whatever that meant, we have to grapple with this idea that, like, Assange had some play, right? He had some ability to uh, to be free and keep doing WikiLeaks, but now that's gone. Is the era of transparency, quote-unquote, over, right? And they, they put Chelsea Manning back in She's back in jail. jail. Yeah, Thank she you. just celebrated yeah. her birthday in and they prison the other day. double-arrested Jeremy Hammond. Jeremy, Ham- Jeremy Hammond, who is already in prison, is now in a different prison. Super He's prison. <laughs> <laughs> so we have that to deal with. And host a ball-and-out super for <laughs> Different Jeremy Hammond. Yes. We if were... your prison has a prison, you just might be Jeremy Hammond. <laughs> <laughs> we were uh, we were talking uh, sometime back about the um, Tea Party and how they started this kind of like far right sort of movement. Um, that's obviously shifted in many ways since then. Until we had in 2019 the very violent and frightening and brutal uh, Christchurch shooting which was a post-ironic mass murder uh, by a alt-right, kind of like a a pre-Groiper type figure who took it upon himself to murder a bunch of Muslims in uh, otherwise relatively peaceful New Zealand. So that's something to watch out for moving forward. They immediately banned... Uh, semi-automatic weapons like that day as they're as they're able to do in other countries and yeah. lastly all right i'll just leave you with this um we talked about masks off i think it might bleed into 2019 we have perhaps the capstone to this entire decade uh the way that maybe we can interpret the next decade coming forward and that is this year in prison jeffrey epstein killed himself and that is something that we need to grapple with. Why did he hang himself in that cell? Right? What was he so ashamed of? And why didn't he want to go to trial? What could we have done to prevent it? He was trying to suck his own dick in there. Honestly, isn't it? Wait, isn't it wild to when you think about it that we were all sleeping in our beds like a couple miles away from that happening? That happened in Manhattan, right? Yeah. yeah. We were all just like asleep and he was... And uh, he was killing himself. And he couldn't take yeah. life anymore. That's <laughs> on us, really. Where were yeah. you? Where were we? Why weren't we posting the suicide hotline yep. 
to his uh, prison guard to give to him. Why didn't we do a noise demo outside of the MDC to let him know he wasn't alone? <laughs> Why he didn't was we posting check those troubling Instagram pictures of <laughs> notes he'd written about how you know he was listening to Bright Eyes and couldn't? <laughs> Why didn't we more. check the batteries and the security camera that was pointed in front of his cell? Why didn't we give the security guards some coffee so they didn't fall asleep while he was committing suicide? There's Maybe a lot of unanswered questions. We knew there was going to be Patreon dollars in it. If you, if you let him do it. <laughs> all right. So, guys, I think we all want to summarize and kind of run down this whole decade. But let me just throw a few more things out before we end it. All right. So also in 2019, you have um, Australia is literally on fire. Mm. OK, literally the entire continent of Australia is burning. You have a series of global insurrections happening all over the globe right now, mm-hmm. right? In, in many ma- Middle East and South America. And Some of them very successful. Some Sudan, of them very successful. Hong Kong. So like a new Arab Spring that we don't really talk about that much might be successful, might not be. You have, of course, a coming economic crisis. You can see it on the horizon. I'm salivating If you've over looked at the, uh, at the repurchase market, if you looked at uh, commercial paper, you've looked at uh, LIBOR, you've looked at all this, there is a massive intervention happening to try to save the banking system, the lending system right now, because it looks like the global economy is back in the beginnings of a new crisis. And what the fuck will that mean? Other things, right? Uh, the death of Corbynism. We saw this very, very recently, right? Corn went out. Everybody, yeah. all of the, the entire left, it seems like, almost the entire left in Great Britain, especially in England, poured their hearts and their souls. And God bless you for going out there and canvassing door to door, you know, creating organizations to support Corbyn and the Labour Party, doing all the things that you did and voting and, and this, that, and the other thing. But ultimately... Corbynism is dead, and it doesn't look like you can create a Corbynism without Corbyn. So what do people do in that instance, and what does that mean for Bernie Sanders? And the last thing, I think this is the most important thing for us to to confront, and Jake touched on this, and we've all kind of touched on it. Uh, I, I started with this Watchmen movie, right? <laughs> What does it mean moving forward? What does it mean for this decade? What does it mean for culture and entertainment and the entire zeitgeist of the United States and, you know, the larger Anglophone world that Star Wars will never be good again? What does that mean to us? (laughs) Bad Star Wars. No, no, no. Climate change doesn't matter. Bad decade. Sun's down. So does Sean. (laughs) (laughs) So, folks, I leave you with that. What what do you guys got? You want to try to, uh, you know, tie this up in a bow? I'll I'll take a crack at it at least. I don't know. Um, I I think if we are uh, the queer eye gentleman, I'm going to assume the role of Karamo, who has the most useless job, which is that he understands culture. Dicks out for Karamo. No, he does psych. He does like therapy. He is a liar. There's an episode. No, it's not it real, it- but that's that's his thing. Is that he's he's like so? Tell me about your you know daddy issues. Yeah. Well, uh, I so mean, are you going to do daddy issues? I'm going to tell us about all everyone's daddy issues and okay. use that to sum up 2010. <laughs> no, he's the culture guy. Which is bullshit. Have you watched the show? I'm fucking serious. Let's no, end with a I know fight. he's Let's the culture. No, I'm gonna fuck you up. It's I know it's he's the culture guy, oh, but shit. but practically <laughs> on the show, what <laughs> ends up happening is they do they do like therapy sessions, and when they went to Japan, did you watch them go to Japan recently? No, he no. tries to implement after they all turned on Birdie. I he tries to friendship canceled to implement <laughs> fucking like weird Western psychology on these like stunted Japanese men who don't know how to have sex, and is like, listen, you just need to be an out out and proud, and they're like, that doesn't exist here for us in. 
Japan. But anyway, keep going. Well, Sorry. this job is bullshit, and I brought it up as a joke. So <laughs> I know. I got really angry. I'll see my crown <laughs> wig Speak on it. Speak on it. But what I was getting at is that all I have to offer here as someone who, you know, Spent this decade writing about television, creating content, uh, not reading as much theory as my comrades here, um, looking to catch up uh, ASAP, um, although probably, you know, more than other, whatever, I'm getting bogged down on that. Uh, that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think of this decade via yes, movies and fucking music give it to us. and shit like the that. The decade that was. And <laughs> controversy and things like that. And I'm actually looking at this list here, and now that we've kind of gone through it, I'm... Um, regretting i think we missed some stuff you know i mean we what do the 2010s mean we we missed the story of kanye west that's uh you know mm. has an arc to it that sort of bends with these weird so right-wing populist radicalization but also with the questions of like what does it mean to be black in america uh class also huge problem there in that story um but i mean i guess to me the st- the story of the decade is atomization and Definitely. sort of an irreversible atomization, which is why we ended recently with like this punchline of the Joker movie being uh, something that raises questions over what will you know what will happen to the the future of the the lonely male in this world. I think about this a lot because what are we making here? We're making a podcast. And what is a podcast? It's a thing that you put in your ears on your way to work and you listen to alone and it serves as sort of a like a cyberpunk dystopian injection of friendship and community and a thing that is was, uh, you know, we something we used to make naturally. And now we've decided uh, and use the market and technology and all this shit to We've isolated a problem, which is that we don't have that anymore, and we are overworked, and we're far away. Even in the cities that we, you know, we close up to everyone, we're still um, separated from each other, and uh, there doesn't that, that seems to be a factor in radicalization, um, both bad and good, though. And so, I think the question of what we did, what this last decade of laying in bed covered in beer cans and takeout and mainlining you know your favorite new podcast and becoming friends through the internet with people that you you know have a solid bond with before you ever meet them or maybe you never do meet them is uh the question is what next right because can we continue to become further and further from each other and weirder and weirder and uh you know become uh more distrustful of each other and angry at other people for starting movements like me too, that were well-intentioned just because dunking on this person or that person gets you clout. And this is a huge fucking mess, right? Um, I think the proud boys are also a symptom of this fucking problem. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, as funny as it may sound, the fact that the guy who created fucking vice in the, uh, the decade before this was able to form a fucking street gang by identifying the fact that there are men out there who have nothing to fucking do with all their anger is a problem. Well, it's uh, it's our fault for canceling him. He had nowhere else to go. (laughs) PC culture. Run amok. Yeah, it's why we shouldn't live too hard. Um, You know, that we made him, right? That's the huge problem. Obviously, that's not the fucking problem. Um, But I don't know. Uh, I hope we can use these tools for good in the next 10 years. I, I think, suppose, I think the answer, obviously, the uh, 
the balm to the uh, pains and aches of atomization is to seek community. I think that the uh, answer lies in getting a group of your friends together and listening to a podcast (laughs) all in the same room silently. You're sitting side by side, but you're also listening to a podcast. Um, So you're, you know. And you're signing and, up for the Patreon. And, and yes, and exactly. Patreon. You are all, all signing up for our Patreon people. together as a group. <laughs> I've not been paid to even to end on this, but I, I, you know, you bought me a spring roll. So thank you. <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> the key to your heart. Yep. Well, thanks, babe. So what else? Um, so we've got this atomization that I think is a thread that runs through, you know, this entire decade. Certainly um, folks out there can see can see that operating in reality uh what about this mask off uh griper thing i mean what do you guys think about that with bolsonaro and uh the nick fuentes of the world and (laughs) indeed the gavin mcginnis's of the world hot take seems pretty bad yeah well it's these it's and i think it's i mean it's late stage capitalism i mean it's the it's the final cataclysms of uh an economic global economic system that is uh reaching its own boiling point that in a system that raises the temperature on itself and uh you know thinking ahead there was this moment just now sean when you were like and thinking of the decade ahead and i thought jesus fucking christ we have to live for another decade ahead (laughs) i forgot that when we wake up on january 1st there's a new fucking decade and i i i I think that there's a very real possibility that there will not be a full decade of uh, a business as usual in terms of and there there won't be we know that based on just trajectories from climate science and the idea of uh mask off you know and and this atomization and recognizing how alienated we all are from each other i i I often worry you know is it too late the answer is yeah (laughs) of course it is um but in times like these, I turn to Marx. As well you should. As what did well he say? Daddy. What did he say? Yeah. He said, everything that you think and do is right, Simone. <laughs> <laughs> and to that I say... That was in the Grindris, though, right? That was in the Grindris, yeah. yeah. He also exactly. said it in the Marx Engels collected work, uh, volume 31, mm-hmm. in a letter to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and- no, but it is true that I think, I mean, I was joking about all listening to podcasts, but obviously we we must seek community. I mean, we must fight against the ways that capitalism seeks to atomize us, to alienate us from everyone around us. Uh, I mean, not everyone has the opportunity to uh, start a some sort of like collective living situation or um, a commune or whatever. That would be cool. But I really do think that... Uh, it is. This is so corny. This is so sh- like no, please shit, but I do. really think Pour that your heart out. I, I reach out to your friends. Like, be a better friend. Like, the, mm-hmm. there are tiny, tiny ways to do practice in your daily life that <laughs> that will fight against this. Uh, d- don't. Uh, you know, don't sit in your apartment every fucking night and watch Netflix by yourself. I'm speaking to myself. (laughs) I'm telling myself to do this because, you know, sit in a room with three other fucking people in it and just talk about your life, even if it sucks. Or watch Netflix and drag what you're watching together. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I I mean, sitting in the room right now with four other humans is 
is is even just easing the 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 burden on my soul that I felt by walking around all day long. I'm a nanny, so uh, I have no you know coworkers. My I, I my coworker is a 12 year old that I take care of. I have I'm she's very more like your boss, really. She she kind of is my boss. She's a lot more money than me, and I you know I feel so lonely by the end of the day. And even just just getting to sit in a room with other fucking people and and commiserate together, whether they have your politics or not, just just get out of the house or invite people over to your house and organize that i mean here's the thing bernie sanders will not usher in socialism any one fucking chapter of the dsa will not bring about socialism but if you can get into a group uh get into a room with other you know comrades or organizers or whomever and do any little bit together collectively to make material conditions for the people around you maybe a little bit better that is the only way to get through the uh absolute uh, existential dread and just uh, just the misery of being on this planet in its final uh, death throes. That's like, the hope. I mean, we've gone through all these terrible things that have happened, and it's been a pretty shitty decade. But as we've said before on the show, we are in a unique historical moment right now where despite the defeat of Corbynism, despite how bad things are with the right wing and how bad things are with the capitalist, you know, economy and uh, with climate change, there is a real moment right now for all of us and all of you out there to actually make a meaningful impact because it's not like maybe in 2009 when we started like 10 people in a basement meeting once a month to try to figure out how to make the best puppets for the next, you know, low low attendance uh anti-war rally we have hundreds of thousands maybe millions of people in this country who have woken up now to the things that have been happening and sincerely want to make that change so i think things are dire but there there's some hope there's some hope out yeah. there hope and change and, and you one know thing, what uh, sorry i want, I just no, want to agree it. with you because one thing that uh one one thing that i think sanders is doing right now is very strong is he's saying like don't you know like you need to to be in this fight for like a, a major electoral change, not not just um, for yourself or whatever, but you have to like be thinking about everyone around you. So he's trying to like, you know, these strong institutions don't exist. Like he doesn't have like uh, a, a militant labor movement to call upon, but he's trying to make people think that we need to be in this fight together. And to do that, you start have to imagining that there is a together that you, you do care about the people around you with every, everything telling us to be like afraid and distrust everyone around us and ignore everybody and look at the floor when you're out in public yep. and go home and watch Netflix. And that's something that the fascists can't do. They can't, mm-hmm. they can't achieve like they have, some of them believe in some kind of like racial communities or, Something like that, but it's it's so marginal because what the, really motivates them is hate, and what motivates us is communism. And communism is not like it's it's not. I mean, it's not just let's take over the state and change the way the economy works. It's about creating a new way of living yes. that's not about the economy. That it's about loving one another and building a community. Right. Um, yeah, and never and not and not going uh, never taking yourself so seriously as to say that your needs should ever be put above anybody else's. Yeah, and are one, you willing sorry, to fight thing, for someone who's not like you? One thing Mark says that maybe can give us a little bit of hope, although it is a catastrophist thing, and I you know have my critiques of catastrophism. He says, you know, he writes this like he write he writes in, in moments where he's very optimistic about revolution and very pessimistic. In a very pessimistic moment, he wrote, "The next revol- revolution will come." 
just as sure as there will be another crisis. Mm-hmm. And we know there's going to be a crisis that's going to be so big that the uh, the uh, supply lines of capitalism are going to break down. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and if we were not prepared in 2008, 2009 for a crisis... I think we're in a much better position right now with the consciousness and with the beginnings of organization right now that if we had another crisis, I would think and I would hope that people out there in the United States and elsewhere would have a better sense of what's happening and hopefully a better sense to do of what to do. And that's very hopeful, right? Mm -hmm. You have these millions of people who are, you know, socialists in some some way, shape or form. And uh, hopefully we do better. I also think that something that is, I, I think, hope is uh, beautiful and a real thing. Uh, I don't think it has to be as empty as <laughs> neoliberals have made it. But I also think that there's something to be said for doing the right thing, even if you don't necessarily have a very strong grasp of hope. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. w- yeah. w- communism, built, working towards communism, which feels so far away from this moment, uh, is the right thing to do, is the moral choice to do, and to have moral clarity and build towards your goals and love each other, even if you know that it, some, your goals won't necessarily be achieved in your lifetime, or maybe even at all before the planet runs out of steam, is still the choice that can like allow you to wake up every day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a real mind fuck, right? Becoming a communist, because on the one hand, you're like, oh, wow, everything's fucked and we don't actually have that much time. And the left is pretty weak right now. And fuck, like, you know that the status quo cannot continue. And if it does, it will decay into fascism and horror. And that's fucking terrifying. Thinking about revolution is fucking terrifying. A, because it's so far off. B because it's, it's so scary. Difficult. Yeah, and because it, it's scary, and like you could fucking die. Like I don't like to think about that. I don't want to fucking die. I do. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, it gives your life a purpose and a meaning. And um, we need to go outside of our own friend groups as well and try totally. to regrow bonds in our communities. You know, talk to somebody who you might not meet in your regular job or your regular social activities people are living next door to each other who never fucking talk like talk to people talk if you see someone sitting on their stoop you know just fucking talk to them ask them what's up uh you know sometimes i like to practice my bad spanish with my neighbors and they i don't know they probably think i'm corny but uh maybe they appreciate it who the fuck knows and go to community board meetings find out what the struggles are in your community because we're all like a lot of the people i know we're transplants and we are doing you know north brooklyn dsa stuff but we do not have the entire community at our meetings and we don't go to community board meetings. We don't go to these local institutions. I mean, we're trying to change that um, with the neighborhood councils program that we're sort of piloting right now. I recently went to a community board meeting in Bushwick, and it was very interesting. But um, and I also think that communism's going to be corny, and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. And I think what we're trying to say is that whether or not communism will win. And I still think in my heart that eventually, someday, communism will win. The things you need to do in order to build a movement, 
capable of creating communism, right? Something that has to be actually made by human beings are good things to do anyways. Yeah. Love thy neighbor, right? That's a good thing. Be fucking sincere. Be sincere. Organize the people in your community. Don't be isolated. Build power with people who, for whom that power actually matters. These are things you can do anyways, just to be a good person and not be a shit bag and feel better about yourself because you'll be better. You heard it here, folks. 2020 will be the decade of corniness. Irony will be dead. Yes. As yes. Drake, as Drake said, the real is on the rise. The real is on the rise, <laughs> And also, baby. to quote, probably the most important aphorism of the 2010s, YOLO. YOLO. Hey, you only live YOLO, once. Baby. Everybody, thanks so much. Get corny. Yeah. Corny communism in the 2020s, folks. We're horny Get for out. corny. <laughs> oh, my God. Corny 2012. <laughs> <laughs> so I have I to do this. I know I'm always a downer. At the end of an episode, because uh, we end on a positive and funny note, and then I'm like, oh, but this one more thing, guys. But uh, this okay. is like, I don't know if I can call it housekeeping or what. That seems housekeeping's like a, fine. a dumb thing to call it. But uh, I guess I should tell you guys that Sean and I, as a marriage unit that has ended, we've been separated for a little bit, and it is objectively sad. But we don't hate each other. That's no, all good. Um, you may have noticed we haven't been on very many episodes together, but hopefully we'll be doing more in the future as our conscious uncoupling progresses. But um, I just want to let you guys know what's going on because we put a lot of ourselves into this. And uh, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to us over this time. And thanks for bearing with us during this transitionary period. Um, yeah, I mean, we appreciate always your love and also we appreciate uh the privacy that comes with something like this so thanks for listening to the antifada and we're gonna keep doing podcast and we're gonna hopefully yeah. keep doing it well yeah um, and as much as i don't like hearing about your relationship <laughs> um i i'm really it's always a uh, so great to record with both of you either individually or together and i really i, I love doing the show and I want to thank you for having me on for this year. And, uh, and I want to thank everyone who listens and supports us. It's, it's really amazing. I love doing it. I hope we're doing a good thing for the world as it dies. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. That's thank beautiful, you, everybody. Andy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Andy. That, you're going to make me cry. You are doing corny communism every <laughs> week. You're doing it day great. Day in and day out. It's That's some some real uh, prefigurative <laughs> yeah. politics Simone here. Me. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, wait a minute. You guys broke up? <laughs> 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 I want you guys to know it's not your fault. Uh, your pretend mom and pretend dad both love you very much. And now you get two Christmases. <laughs> you get two Christmases. Um, but yeah, the show has grown beyond our wildest dreams and, since uh, we first started. And uh, I've heard from so many people telling me that we help them find their politics <laughs> and the show means something to them. That's it just so cool. blows my mind every time. So thank you so much to everyone. Thank you to our wonderful guests. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Sean. I wouldn't be doing any of this if it weren't Are we for you. So, <laughs> fucking unrest is by John. This just got so fucking sincere. At the end. Lula Libre, bash the fash, global uprising, full communism. We're gonna fucking win. Grifters forever. I just take my time with all this shit. I still believe in that. I had someone tell me I fell off. Ooh, I needed that, and they wanna see me pick back up. Well, where'd I leave it at? I know I exaggerated things. Now I got it like that. Tuck my napkin in my shirt. 
cause I'm just mobbing like that You know good and well that you don't want a problem like that You gon' make someone around me catch a body like that No, don't do it Please don't do it, cause one of us goes in and we all go through it And Drizzy got the money, so Drizzy gon' pay it Those my brothers, I ain't even gotta say it That's just something they know They know, they know, they know They know, they know, they know They know, they know, they know Yeah, they know, yeah That the real is on the rise Fuck them other guys I even gave them a chance to decide Not something they know They know, they know, they know Yeah, I be yelling out Money over everything Money on my mind Then she wanna ask when it got so empty Tell her I apologize, happened over time She says they missed the whole Drake, girl, don't tempt me If they don't get it, they'll be over you That new shit that you got is overdue You better do what you supposed to do I'm like, why I gotta be all that? But still I can't deny the fact that it's true Listen to you expressing all them feelings Soap opera rappers, all these niggas sound like all my children And that's who you thinking is about to come and make a killing I guess it really is just me, myself and all my millions You know that they ain't even got it like that You gon' hide me